New Year's. A time for everyone to take a moment, reflect on our past, look forward to the future, and make a few resolutions. If you're looking to make resolutions from a biblical perspective, we would invite you to join us today for Graceful Truth as we take a look at an example of a man who did just that. Join us. Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse is next. Welcome to Graceful Truth, the weekly radio program originating from the pulpit teaching ministry of Grace Bible Church, located here in Redwood City, revealing God's grace through God's truth. Today, we're in Philippians chapter 3, verses 4 through 14, message that Pastor Steve has simply entitled, New Beginnings. We're taking a look at Paul's past and looking at his future in Christ and the encouragement that he leaves for us in this lifestyle. Again, Philippians 3, verses 4 through 14, and as we'll see, it goes beyond a lifestyle. It's a simple way of life in Christ. Here now with today's broadcast, starting off on the right foot, our teacher and pastor, Pastor Steve Converse from Grace Bible Church here in Redwood City. Well, this morning we'll be starting a new series for the new year, starting off on the right foot, looking at new beginnings. I want to ask you a question this morning as we begin our message. How many here know what a mulligan is? Some of you know. Well, it's a term that's used in golfing. I don't golf, so I, I learned about this. But it means that you get a do-over. When a golfer makes a bad shot and he wants to redo it without adding any additional stroke to his score, he just calls a mulligan. And so he gets to take the shot again. It's really a great rule. It makes golf a better game, especially for those amateurs. Those of you who raised your hands, by the way, just expose yourselves as amateur golfers. But the idea of a mulligan is useful in life, too, I believe. Uh, there are times in life when we need a second chance. We need a new start. One of the basic tenets of the gospel is that we get a second chance. There's no question that we need one. And with the new year, 2010, as we look at a year before us, we don't know what that year will bring. But a lot of people use the new year as a way to start fresh. They look at it as a clean slate. Well, I'd like us to look the next couple of weeks into the life of the Apostle Paul. And we want to gain some insights into our subject, New Beginnings, from his writings to the Church of Philippi, out of the book of Philippians. See, Paul is a man who penned a majority of the New Testament, but he was not always a spiritual, godly man, as you may think. Paul had a seedy background. He was religious, but his religion led him to do some horrible things. And so he wrote this letter to the church of Philippi, and he gave a glorious testimony of how God changed his life. I want to read for us this morning out of the book of Philippians, chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, as we begin our new series, starting off on the right foot. Philippians chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of the evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in spirit 
Rejoice in Jesus Christ and have no confidence in the flesh. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I more so. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law of Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. What things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things loss for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings, being conformed to his death, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained or am already perfected, but I press on that I may lay hold of that which Christ Jesus has also laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things which are ahead, I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. If there's one person that needed a do-over, it was the Apostle Paul. This morning, I just want to look at a couple things about the Apostle Paul and see what we can learn as we start our new year. First of all, I want us to look at Paul's past glory. Look at verses 4 through 6. Paul's past glory. He speaks here of what he once had. He says, I might also have confidence in the flesh if any other man thinks that he has uh, confidence, he might trust in the flesh, I more. See, Paul took on the, the, the religious leaders of his day, the Judaizers, and he took them on on their own ground, their religiousness. They were very religious people. And they mistook their religion for righteousness. There was a time when Paul was more religious than any of them. He was more Jewish than any of them. And his attack on their confidence in the flesh was not merely some academic exercise he was going through, for he lived it himself. He had once been where they're standing. He once sat where they sat. He thought as they thought. He did what they did. But then, on a glorious day, on the road to Damascus, he met Christ and all it took was one glimpse of the Lord from heaven. And all of his religious trappings, all of his self-righteousness fell by the wayside. And it was stripped away from his soul forever. The moment he encountered Christ on the road to Damascus, he realized what he had been doing. And where his religious zeal had actually brought him. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 4, he hears the Lord's words, Saul, Saul, which was his name before he was called Paul. Saul, Saul, why persecute thou me? And those words 
went right to his heart. He discovered that everything in which he had trusted was not only worthless, but it was also wicked because it made him an enemy of the Lord Jesus Christ. So he was willing to look at all that he had. And then we see in verses 5 to 6, we see everything that he kind of lifted up. He hailed. Look at verse 5. He was, his status was that of a pure Jew. And we know that because it says that he was circumcised the eighth day. When Paul was a baby, too small to even say anything about what went on. A religious rite was administered to him as a little infant. And the circumcision was not done by him, but for him. And the rite made him, under the, 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 the rules of the terms of the Abrahamic covenant, an accepted member of the religious community. He was a Jew by religion, is the point. He was also a Jew by race, because it says there in, in verse 5 that he was out of the stock of Israel, out of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews. First, he makes a national claim. He says, I'm the stock of, of Israel. He was born into a nation chosen and set apart by God himself. Do you, do you understand that no nation except Israel has ever had a treaty relationship with God? No other nation. So it was a great privilege for Saul of Tarsus to be born into a Jewish home. You might compare it to today if we were born into a Christian home. We would say, wow, that's a, that's a, that's a privilege. Some of us weren't born into a Christian home. So God had to work and help us figure all this out. But some of you have born, been born actually into a Christian home. You've been raised with Christian principles. What a blessing that is. Well, it was a blessing for Saul of Tarsus to be born into a Jewish home. That's the national claim. He's of the stock of Israel. Then he, he makes a tribal claim. He says, I'm the tribe of Benjamin. Well, what does that mean? The tribe of Benjamin, remember, gave Israel its first king. It's kind of ironic. And what was his name? Saul. And you remember, Saul, what did he do? He persecuted David, right? Well, Saul of Tarsus persecuted, you might say, David's greater son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Interesting little tagline there. But unlike the Old Testament Saul, the New Testament Saul ended up crowning Christ Lord of his life. So he made a national claim to his Jew, Jewish heritage by race, a tribal claim, but he also made a parental claim. He says, I am a Hebrew of the Hebrews. See, in the original language, it can be translated a Hebrew of Hebrews. In other words, it's simply saying that both of his parents were Hebrew. Both of his parents were Jews. That means something in that culture. Some Jews just have one parent who's actually a Jew. And the, the children are, are Jewish. But, boy, if you have both parents that are Jewish, wow. And so his status was that of a, a pure Jew back in his day. He was also a practicing Jew. In verses 5 to 6, we see that. It says there, as touching the law of Pharisee. In other words, you, you can't get any more stringent than that. If you're a Pharisee, boy, you're, you're, you have a fundamentalist view of your religion. 
Today, fundamentalism is, a, is, is kind of a bad word. People say, oh, you're one of those fundamentalists. <laughs> you actually believe that Jesus said what he said. You actually believe that he was born of a virgin. You actually believe that he rose from the dead. Yeah, we do. Well, he was, you might call, a fundamentalist Jew. He was also a fanatical Jew. Because it says they're concerning zeal. Look at what he did. He persecuted the church. Now, he didn't do it, I don't believe, with malice in his heart. Just like the people today who, who kill people in the name of their religion. They really believe in what they're doing and they believe that it's somehow pleasing to their God to fly airplanes into buildings and kill innocent people. As weird as that sounds to us, they actually believe that. That's part of their religion. They're fanatics. That's why we call them usually terrorists or fundamentalist, fanatical, Islamic, what? Extremists. Well, Paul had that fanaticism in his religion. He went around and he saw Christians following Christ and he said, wait, this is going to not go well with my religion and I'm a member of a religion that doesn't believe in this Messiah, so I'm going to attack the people that do. And this was a guy who actually took pride in killing Christians. Now today, if somebody did that, we'd say they were evil. They were a horrible person. But back then, and even in certain religious sects today, it's, it's, it's a badge of honor for some people to kill people who are not part of their religion. Islam is a good example. It's okay for them to lie to an infidel, anybody who's not Islamic. It's fine to do that. That's what is so interesting when our government wants to sit down and talk with them at a table. <laughs> well, they're going to lie through their teeth to you, and they're going to be okay with it. They're not going to honor any treaties. They're not going to do any of that. Why? Because the religion says that it's okay to do that. And so he was a fanatical Jew, but he was also a fastidious Jew. In other words, it says there, speaking of the righteousness which is in the law, he was blameless. Notice it uses the word blameless, not sinless. Paul was not sinless. There was no one in Scripture who was sinless other than the Lord Jesus Christ. That's so important to understand. Because, see, some people today are trying to work for their salvation. They're thinking if they can just get a little bit better, if they can just get good enough, good enough, good enough, and they keep on piling up good work after good work, thinking somehow that's going to earn credit with God. It doesn't work that way. You have to be sinless to walk into the presence of God. You have to be perfect. You have to be righteous. Well, most of us know that we're not those things. But Paul was a fastidious Jew. And he thought, boy, if I can just do everything according to the law. And that word blameless means just what it says, without blame. In other words, people can't point their finger at you and say, oh, wait a minute. What about this? What about that? Paul, you say you're a Pharisee, but hey, we saw you breaking God's law the other day or whatever. And I'm sure when those things kind of uh, uh, ran through his head... He really thought that he was blameless. He had an all good consciousness sought to live up to the standard and behavior that God would accept. And he made a sincere effort to keep God's law. He tried to do his very best. 
even though that best wasn't good enough. So that's Paul's past glory. That's, that's what, where, from the roots from which he came. And I think it's important to understand that because you're not going to understand the rest of what we're going to look at if we don't understand a little bit about his background. He once thought himself as chief of the saints. But when he saw the Son of God, he realized that he was what? Chief of sinners. Just the opposite. See, that's what happens when someone is transformed by God's power and gloriously saved. So many times we scratch our head and people pray a little prayer. They raise a hand or they come down to an altar and, and do whatever they want to do. And then they, they live a life that's not honoring Christ. And we shake, scratch our head and we go, boy, we don't know if they're a Christian or not. You know, they made this commitment. But, you know, the easiest way to see if someone's a Christian or not is have they changed? It's not rocket science. Has God changed their life? Doesn't mean they're going to be perfect, but their desires are going to change. Everything about them is going to change as far as, as, as their, their way they want to seek and, and please God and, and desire uh, things that are godly and not sinful. I mean, you're still going to sin as a Christian, but Paul was all those things. And yet it didn't add up. It didn't add up. Sometimes we need to stop and look at our own lives and say, which direction are we going in? Are we trying to work this thing out on our own? Are we trying to logically sit down and figure out this Christian thing that people keep on praying for us to become a Christian? They keep on, you know, reading Bible verses and praying and doing this stuff, and you just don't get it, maybe. That's okay. God understands that. And he wants to help you through that. He wants you to know that he's there. You just cry out to him. Even in your unbelief, cry out to him and say, God, I, I don't have a clue what this stuff's about, but you know what? These people seem pretty excited about it in this church. Maybe I ought to check it out. To not even check it out, beloved, to not even say, hey, what's going on? What's, what's the big deal about this? Would be a big mistake. What happens when there's an accident or, or when something happens on your street and say people are out, the neighbors are out in the street and they're looking and, you know, maybe the fire truck, what do you do? You go outside and you run down, what's going on? You want to know what's going on because something's happening. Well, it doesn't take too, too much to look around in the lives of Christians and see God doing something. You hear people testify how God is changing their life, how God forgave them of their sin, how God restored their marriage or their family or brought a, a lost loved one to Christ. Whatever it may be, God is at work. And if you want him to work in your life, you just cry out to him. Well, we also want to look at Paul's present gains because in verse 7 to 11 of chapter 3, this is where it begins to kind of get good, get better, I should say. Paul's present gains. What he discounted, we want to look at first. In verse 7, basically, it tells us that he wrote off all his human religion. Just wrote it off. Just said, you know what? That's, it's nothing, nothing to me anymore at all. He says in verse 7, the things that were gained to me, that's what he's talking about, these I have counted loss for Christ. See, Paul was looking at his religious balance sheet and he calculated. He was counting up the gains and he's counting up what he had in Christ and, and it's almost as if he spread out his little bags of gold on the table and looked at each one and said, is this really worth it? <laughs> or should I 
take Christ. The Judaizers would have been delighted with every one of his little, little bags of gold that he had that we just looked at. They would have been, you know, boy, off the hook with all that stuff. Circumcised the eighth day, a stock of, the, of Israel, tribe of Benjamin, Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning righteousness, blameless. See, all those things impressed the religious leaders of Christ in, in Paul's day. But it says that he wrote them all off. He says, all those things were gained to me, but you know what? I counted them as loss. He picked them up, and he put them on the scales, and then he looked at Christ. And he said, you know what? I can have one or the other. Which one's it going to be? And he carefully accumulated gains as a religious man and gains as being in Christ. Because he couldn't have both. He knew that. See, that's a mistake many of us make. We think that we can have both. We think that we can have the world and have Christ. You can't. The Bible's very clear about that. It says if you, if you love the world, then you, you don't love Christ. There's no way. But on the road to, to Damascus, he made that decision. He didn't hesitate a moment. He picked up everything that was treasure to him, all his religious trappings, and he threw them away, the Bible says, as if they were trash. He used the same irony to describe his gains and losses as a religious man. All he had gained was loss, he says. What he had considered assets at one point turned out to be what? Liabilities. That can happen overnight, as many people have found with this economic downturn and everything. Boy, once people took pride in everything that they had and all this stuff, and, every, and all of a sudden, boy, the economy changes. Whoa. Now I got the nice boat, the nice car, the nice, you know, da-da-da-da-da, but I got to pay for it, and now it's becoming what? A liability. Since his one liability consumed his assets, he would have been left spiritually bankrupt if he had not gained Christ. And Christ helped him change the whole scenario, change the whole picture. And so Paul gladly wrote off all these human religious trappings for Christ. See, and when someone comes to Christ in a genuine way, that's what happens. So many times I'm concerned about people who are in a certain religion or in a certain cult, and they say they come to Christ, but they still hold on to all the religious trappings. And sometimes their reason is, well, they need to hear Christ, and I'm going to stay in this place and, and try to share Christ, but you're not going to turn that around. That's something God has to do. I know, because I came out of that religious trappings background, and I had a desire after I got saved to go back and to kind of infiltrate that church and try to correct it. But that's not how God does things. So he wrote off his human religion. He also wrote off his human resources. Look at what it says in verse 8. Yet indeed I also count all things loss. Not just the things that were gained to me, the religious things, but all things for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. I mean, when you stop and you think what he gave up. Paul gave up everything for Christ. He gave up his home in Tarsus. He gave up his parents. He gave up all hope of a settled home life for the most part. He had given up his Jewish religion. He gave up his ambition to climb the ladder to the top so that he could even rule the Sanhedrin one day. 
very prestigious thing to do in his religion, his culture. He had given up his health. We don't think of that. But he actually gave up his health to hardships, to floggings, to perils, to even being shipwrecked on occasion. He had given up the smile in favor of the Jerusalem church to minister to the Gentile world. He had given up his freedom. One day the apostle would even give up his life. Why? Because he says here that he counted all things lost in order to know Christ. In order that he might know Christ, he was willing to put everything else aside. The apostle would allow nothing, absolutely nothing, to come between him and his Savior. That's a good lesson for us. We'll have more on the life of Paul and new beginnings next week here on Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse. It's our prayer here at Graceful Truth that God would reveal His grace to your hearts through the teaching of His Word each week. And we trust you're currently involved in a Bible teaching church in your area, and if not, we'd love to have you come and visit us here at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. We meet each Sunday morning for our praise and worship service at 10 a.m. We offer nursery care and Sunday school classes for our children up to grade five. And if you'd like to encourage us here at the Graceful Truth program, please give us a call at Grace Bible Church in Redwood City. Here's the phone number, 650-366-9923. That's 650-366-9923. Or you can visit us on the web at gracefultruth.org. We trust you'll have a blessed week. We'll look forward to seeing you here next week at this same time for another edition of Graceful Truth with Pastor Steve Converse.